Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Alright, this week we get to hear from one of my favorite R&B singers of all time, the great Jeffrey Osborne. So I'm guessing most people probably know, in the 70s, he fronts a really excellent R&B band called LTD. They have some hits, but of course, as, it, as is often the case, the lead singer gets a lot of attention, he's kind of getting itchy, wanting to write and perform his own songs, and at the end of the 70s, he goes solo. And with the help of the legendary producer, George Duke, he takes off throughout most of the 80s, has a ton of hits. You Should Be Mine, On the Wings of Love, uh, this song right here, Stay With Me Tonight, We're Going All The Way, The Borderlines, Don't Stop. There's tons of hits throughout the 80s, especially. Well, at the beginning of the 90s, like what happens with most people who are popular in the 80s, things start to change and slow down. He never really goes away, but he does kind of try slow things down for about a decade. But he's still out there very strong. In fact, this year, he put out a new album called Worth It All, and he's still out there performing a ton. In fact, he's doing a lot of shows right now. If you want to follow him on Facebook, you'll hear all about it. Um, I thought it would be really interesting to hear more about George Duke, hear the stories behind a lot of these songs. His songs appear at, in a couple of movies, and as you know, I like to know the stories behind those kinds of things. He had a song on Whitney Houston's debut album, All at Once, which is the beautiful song. He co-wrote that. So we talk about how that impacted his life as well. He's still very involved in charities. He still performs a lot. He became a vegan recently, so he's talking about that. Anyway, one of the greatest voices ever. I love this man's work. I hope you guys do too. Now, when we talked, he lived in, he's from LA, but I don't remember if when we talked, he was in LA or if he was in New York. I have a feeling he was in New York, but I can't remember. Jeffrey, like I said, I remember so vividly i'll never forget it i have a lot of vivid memories when it comes to jeffrey osborne but one of the biggest was my dad worked for united airlines when i was growing up and so i would fly everywhere and back in the early 80s you know you'd be on a plane and you'd have these chunky clunky plastic headphones with the plungers that you plug into the armrest to you know what i mean right and the back of the yeah, back of, yeah the back of the magazine would have you know there'd be like 10 different <laughs> radio stations and they'd play the same 20 songs over and over and I remember right. so much. Remember. Stay with, stay with me tonight. Was on 
on a trip that we, my dad and I went on together. And uh, it, I remember just waiting so, you know, trying to hold, to be patient, to wait for that song to come back around after it would go through the whole other 20 songs on the list, you know? Right. <laughs> and uh, that was That's it. Fun. I mean, I was like 10 years old and I've been, a, I've been a fan ever since. That's what cemented it for wow. me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, cool. having said that, I have a very important question to ask you. How in the world right. do I get my hands on I Just Want to Be Your Friend from the toy? So you've done the things you thought you wanted to do. But they never feel that space inside of what you need is someone who will understand Oh, can't you see I'm holding out my hand Oh, I just want to be your friend I just want to be your friend So it's hard to be the one you like to be There are times when you just need some good I've seen that movie oh more than probably, probably any other movie in my life. I love that song. It's nowhere to be found. Is there any way to get... Is it on a CD that I don't know of? How do we get this song? It should be on the soundtrack. I don't think there is a proper soundtrack from that movie. That I'm pretty sure there has to be because really? I remember seeing one. Okay. Yeah. See, I didn't think there was. Um, okay. Well, I'll go look then. I think there is a. Uh, for some reason, I think there's a soundtrack to that. Okay. Because you know, be honest, funny with you, I don't even have a copy of it. Really? The toy. <laughs> you know, I try to catch the movie every now and then. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna. Right. Okay. But yeah. Okay. That's funny. Oh, that was, that was. <laughs> Ooh, wow, that was back in the day. It sure was. Yeah. Man. I love yeah. that song. And so, uh, I just wait for it to come out on CD or something so I can get my hands on it. And it, uh, it's never yeah. there. So, anyway. That was, a, that was a, a funny movie, too. That was a funny movie. Yeah. <laughs> How did that even happen? Did someone approach you? Did you write that song? How did it even happen? Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. You know, someone, they just approached me with it. Somebody approached me. Uh, my manager called me and said this interest in you doing a song for uh, a Richard Pryor movie. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, tell them to send me the song. And they sent the song over. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And I went to the studio, did it, and that was it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those forgotten songs, uh -huh. you know. I got, I got a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> That's great, though. Yeah. Now, were you still in LTD when you recorded that song? Or were you, you know, venturing out on your own solo? Uh, I think I was on my own. Then. Okay. Yeah. I think I was on my own. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I I didn't do much with LTD. Yeah. And then you know, it would have had the LTD logo on there as opposed to my name. I there was nobody True. really knew my name when I was with LTD. You know, my name was never out front of LTD. Yeah. But that was the that was that was the beginning of my solo career. Yeah. What was I mean? I, you know, I was too young. And like I said, I came around around 1983 or so when, 
when you're looking to leave LTD, you've had the success. You're singing songs like Love Ballad. Are you, is someone coming to you saying, you know, Jeffrey, we think that you should go out solo. We think we could be more successful. Are you getting a tug because you've got, you're writing songs that you think are better suited for you, you and not the band? What goes into making that decision? Well, I think for me, what made that decision was the fact that the LTD was set up for the group and not for the individual at all. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, if the group did bad, everybody did bad. And I was getting denied for things that were coming my way. So, you know, like the record company, you know, they approached me and wanted to do a uh, solo record. Mm -hmm. I would still be in the group, but they wanted to give me the opportunity to do a solo record. And the group turned that down. You know, mm -hmm. they were like, no, we... So there were a lot of things. Uh, I was writing and I had other people wanting to write songs and the group didn't want to let me write for other people because I had this songwriter's agreement with the group. And mm -hmm. so I was actually being held back. Yeah. What they weren't allowing me to grow. And I felt that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be able to grow. So, yeah. you know, I came to them and told them that, look, this is not right, you know, to not allow me to venture out and do other things. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was either, you know, all for the group or that was it. Yeah. So I made the decision in 1979. I went to them and expressed my desire to leave the group. And I stayed on for two more years just to make the transition smooth, you know, mm -hmm. did the album. And then after the album, it's like, well, can you do the tour? I'm like, oh, man, you know, so and I did the <laughs> tour. And then it came into, well, can you do another record? And I'm like, so this went on for two years before. I finally left and it was just something that I felt had to happen. And you, you see it back then with a, uh, a lot of, a lot of people went through the same thing with mm -hmm. big groups, you know, that's right when Lionel left the Commodores and then uh, Michael left the Jacksons. And yeah. It was, you know, it was just something that people were starting to take note of what was happening with themselves as individuals and wanting to grow. And, you know, it's everybody within the, those groups, you know, we're trying to yeah. hold you and make you stay in the groups. You know? So yeah, it was just a natural process of evolution. You know, sure. It's time. Yeah. When you, um, so did you, once you decided to go solo, is that when you start writing things like On the Wings of Love? Just smile for me and let the day begin. You are the sunshine that lights my heart within. I'm sure that you're an angel in disguise. 
Had to have felt like I've got some I've got some gold here in my pocket. This transition isn't going to be so hard because I know I have a hit song in "On the Wings of Love." <laughs> well, I didn't know that though. When really? I the group. <laughs> oh, it seems so obvious. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. I, uh, you know, when I left the group, and then it took a minute for us to find uh, a producer okay. that you know I liked and that the record company liked. And- you know, it was just incredible that uh, the Lord placed me in the hands of George Duke. And he was like the greatest guy for me. But yeah, and then once we did that, then it was, okay, now let's find some songs for a record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, so I wrote that song after the fact of leaving the group. It wasn't okay. something I had laying around. Got it. I wrote it uh, with a good friend, a guy named Peter Slesh. Uh, so I started branching out. This is where I was held down before. Mm. When I got to be a solo artist, I got to branch out and meet other people and write with other people. Before then, it was all within the group. So I did most of my writing with somebody, another band member from the group. But once I left, it was like a whole new world opened up. Mm. I could write with anybody. So I was, you know, I got a chance to write with uh, Peter Slash. I got a chance to write with... uh, uh, Hawk Walensky was one of my favorite guys to write with. He was uh, the guy that wrote everything for Rufus. He wrote yeah. Ain't Nobody. He wrote all those big songs. So I got a chance to work with him. So I got a chance to work with people like Richard Kerr, who had written Mandy for Barry Manilow and nice. all these big songs. And I got so it it opened up for me afterwards. Yeah. Uh, after I left the group, as far as having you know the opportunity to meet and write with other people. Sure. Tell, I think I read a story or saw something somewhere where On the Wings of Love went through some other lyrical ideas before you landed on what you landed on. Wouldn't it, wasn't it almost called something else or you had a different idea in mind? Oh, yeah, first? it was. Yeah? Yeah, it was. Because, yeah, you know, that's what I do. I'll, I'll sit and I'll, I'll write lyrics and then I'll sing them. Mm-hmm. And if they don't sing well, I'm like, okay, it's time for a rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that song, it... The first draft that I that I came up with was called Don't Deny My Love. Mm. And it just didn't sing well. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to totally rewrite this. And so, you know, as a lyricist, you, you go through a process of, you know, changing it. And to me, it's what sings well. Mm. And finally, I came around to On the Wings of Love. You know, I kind of, I was just, you know, kind of picturing what love and flight would be like, you know, just, and I came up with On the Wings of Love and I started singing it and I was like, wow, this sings so much better. And uh, you kind of know it, you kind of know it, you know, uh, once you, when you're working with the same melody and words, you kind of know what sings better. So 
yeah, so it did go through a couple of changes. Huh, interesting. Now, the the music is so sweeping, and I believe you did the lyrics and Peter did the music to that. Are you in the same room right. collaborating on that at one time, or is he coming to you saying, I got this melody here, what do you think? And, well, I got these words, let's see if we can fix them, put them together. Well, yeah. It's, it, no, he actually came to me with just a piano track. Mm. <laughs> interesting. Uh, it, was just him, it was just him playing the piano. And so from that point, I just picked out the melodies he was playing on the piano and wrote the words. Okay. And then it was orchestrated by George Duke. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, people, there's a few things that go into sometimes the makeup of a song. Sure. Uh, song, song, sometimes a songwriter will write the most basic thing. Right. And then from that point, there has to be a melody on top of what, musically was written and there has to be lyrics and then there has to be an arrangement you know uh now some guys will come to you uh like hawk when i wrote with hawk walensky he would send me the whole track he was Mm -hmm. like hey listen to this track man see what you come up with you know and so Mm -hmm. you know the track was all done so all i had to do was do melody lyrics and then to go in the studio with george and we basically would bring hawk in and he would recreate the same track that he had. Yeah. And that song is I Really Don't Need No Light. So that yeah, he wrote a really don't need no light. Yeah, he wrote a plain love, another classic, uh, which was on which (laughs) was on the Stay with Me Tonight album. Yeah. Yeah. She's always been my baby. 
I wrote a few things with Hawk. You know, he's cool. he's a great writer. Good. Now you mentioned George Duke. I mean, that guy. I don't know if he. I think in the R and B world, he probably is held in as much esteem as he deserves. But I don't know if like if regular pop people recognize that this man is behind so many. So much great music, not just that he put out or performed on himself, but produced with people like you. Oh, what, yeah. was, what was the magic oh, of yeah. George Duke? And how lucky are you that he decided to put take you under his wing? I, I was thrilled to have George uh, because George, to, to me, is one of those virtuoso kind of musicians. I mean, he's, he's a pianist extraordinaire. And I think he has perfect pitch on top of that. And he is probably the nicest person I ever met. To really? go even beyond all of that, yeah, he's he was incredible to have, and it just made me feel so secure coming out of a group LTD, going and venturing off on my own, to know that I had somebody who whatever I wanted to do would make this musically sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point where I was proud to put it out, and that every musician around could sit down and admire it. Yeah. because it was correct. I knew musically it was correct and sound. So it's the greatest feeling in the world to have, uh, you know, yeah. that feeling of confidence that not only is he a great guy, but he's giving me something that, you know, all the people that are the best at doing what they do are going to admire his mm -hmm. work, you know? Yeah. So the people that were doing big things back then, the Quincy Joneses and all those producers, yeah. They all respected and admired George Duke. So it was just a great feeling of confidence knowing that uh, he was on your team. I finished, he was on my team, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and it was funny working with George because George had done a lot of projects before. But George, George was great at orchestrating and putting things together and straightening things out. If I sang something, he said, oh, that might not work here. No other producer I've ever worked with would ever to help me vocally they were more intimidated by me and anything i sang was cool with them but oh, george really? said oh, why don't you try this way why don't you try this here why don't you try that there i'm like yeah well that's how incredible he was musically mm -hmm. so i felt so comfortable working with george but he was it, it but also he was it was interesting because george sometimes didn't hear commercially as oh. commercial as <laughs> some other producers. Those songs that I would select, he was like, I don't know. Oh, that song's going to work, man. I'm like, George, just wait. You know, you, you know, well, On the Wings of Love was one. I brought mm -hmm. it to him with just a piano vocal. And he said, I don't, I don't know about this. I said, George, <laughs> but you know, once, <laughs> once we slow this down a little bit, right. you know, and uh, get a rhythm section and then you orchestrate it, it'll be on. And then once we did that, he said, oh, now I hear what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would bring songs to George and George says, I'm not sure, but, Okay, you know, you've been doing this, so if you like the yeah. song, let's work on it. Yeah, yeah. And we would work it out. You know? That's great. So he Man. wasn't the greatest at selecting songs. Right. But he was a master at producing and That's putting incredible. things together. Good. And it sounds like he trusted you <laughs> in your ear. If you heard oh, something, yeah. then he was oh, on yeah. he we was had, on board. That's great. Yeah, we he did trust me, which really was great for me. Yeah. Uh, especially going down the line. He always gave me a so much confidence and he always told me that I was ready to do it myself. You don't need me to produce. You can do it yourself. I'm like, no, I need you to produce. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, he was one of those guys that he allowed you to learn. 
he allowed you to see what he was doing. Uh, he wanted to bring you in. He wanted you to, to grasp and he wanted you to be able to take it on and do your own thing with it. And a lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people are very, you know, they're very protective of how they do things. They don't want anybody else to, you know, and then to me, I don't never understood that, but that yeah. happens a lot. Yeah. It's like, you know, if a singer comes to me and says, you know, how do you do this? How do you phrase this? How, you know, I'm going to give them as much advice as I can. Now, right. just because I give you advice, don't mean that you can pull it off. Yeah, true. <laughs> Good point. You know, you still yeah. got to be able to. So, so helping somebody and giving them knowledge, there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah. Nobody can do what you do with something. They're going to do their own thing. And, you know, so. Yeah. It's funny though. Uh, some yeah. people are very protective of what. And George was just the opposite. He was huh. just so open and so, you know, every he allowed everybody around him to just uh, watch what he was doing and and learn from it. And and he and he would listen. You really? know, if I suggested something, he would be, yeah, well, let's try that. That sounds like. And he it. was like, oh yeah, I like that. So yeah. you know, I, it was a tremendous loss for me okay. when he passed away. <laughs> I I lost a, a, a great friend that, uh, and just an incredible musicologist. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He was one of a kind. <clears throat> Let me ask you about ballads. I mean, you were, you're talking about his, about On the Wings of Love with We're Going All the Way. We're just beginning And I know we've each been down this road a time or two And never could make it through I've got this feeling that we're stumbling to what we've both been waiting for. And maybe even more, it doesn't matter where we've been, cause this time I know for sure we're going all the way. Headed The more I know, we got it all here. We just don't blow it. We're going all the way. If the two of us overwant it, I'd lay my money on it. Starting today, we're going all. Another classic ballad, um, and but it's you know it's written by legends: Barry Mann, Cynthia, Cynthia oh, yeah. Wilde. Oh, yeah. How does this even find its way into your orbit? Does George go to them and say we need a song? Do they come to you? How does this even happen? <laughs> they came to me actually. Really? Uh, which I yeah, you know we had had really good success with the first record, and and they came to me and they said you know. We love your voice, and we like to work with you. And I think we got a song that'd be great for you. And uh, and they handed me. We're going all the way. No I way! Was like, wow, it's a great song. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and you're right. They are like legendary yeah. songwriters. I think they're one of the few songwriting teams that had a hit, a number one record for like 21, 20 years in a row. Isn't that incredible? That's, I mean, these are the people that write, going, back, uh, going, going all the way back to the leader of the pack. Yeah. And you've <laughs> lost that love and feeling and, and they come yeah. to you oh. saying, we want yeah. you to sing our song. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, they came to me. So yeah. I was 
it was an honor. I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to sing one of your songs. Let me ask you the logistics of something like that. When when a team like that comes to you and says, we have a song for you. Now, granted, that song is an obvious hit single. But when they do that, is the expectation that, like, are, are Cynthia Weil and Barry Mann going to provide you with an album track? Or when they come to you, do they say, we have a song, we want this released as a single, it's meant to be a single, or is it just... Put it wherever you want on your album. Do whatever you want with it. I'm always curious what the dynamic there is in terms yeah. of expectations. I think most people like that, when they come to you, they're thinking, we want it to be a single. Okay. They don't say it, but they're like, this this, you know, mm-hmm. this is a song that we feel is, is a great song and we want you to record it. So they're, they're thinking, you know, it, it could be a single or should be a single. Uh, they never push it. They never, uh, well, they never did. They never yeah. said it has to be a single. But, uh, but, you know, when you hear the song and, and uh, there's no question, the quality of it, yeah. lyrically and musically, you're saying, yeah, okay, this mm-hmm. is this is single material. Right. But yeah. a lot of times, you know, some people, and, and people get their feelings hurt sometimes. People yeah, think, right. okay, it should have been a single and you didn't have it as a single and I'm, I'm upset. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've gone through that with a couple of people who, who felt that, you know, and a lot of times it's not just my decision. It comes down to a collective agreement between myself and the the staff of the record company. Cause you know, what they do is they'll play something for all their regional staff. So they'll, yeah. everybody across the country, or they'll all listen and they'll say, what do you think is, is to be the single? And so I have the power to override that contractually. I always could say, no, I want this to be the single, but it's not a wise move if they don't want to work it. Exactly. So you got to work, you know, you got to learn to work. So I can take take a power move and say, no, this, I I want this. And they'll say, okay, well, we'll give it to you. But hey, you're on your own. We're not going to really go out. We're not going all out on this one. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah, understood. That happens a lot. Let me ask you about ballads versus like upbeat songs, because I, I think you're a master at both. You're probably better known, maybe for ballads. I don't know. How do you view? Yeah. How do you view yourself? Do you see, view yourself as like a balladeer, or like, hey, I can do anything, whatever you want? I, I view myself uh, as a balladeer, more, more so as a balladeer. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I, I find that uh, an up-tempo song, uh, anybody can deliver an up-tempo song. Mm. You know, it's it's more about the groove. I mean, you know, you still have to deliver it. But a ballad, you got to touch somebody. You don't have yeah. to touch somebody with an up-tempo song. You just make them dance, and that's the groove, you know. Mm-hmm. But a ballad, you have to touch somebody. So to me, that's more of a challenge than an up-tempo song. Mm-hmm. So I kind of pride myself as a balladeer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Isn't there a funny story that I think I heard you tell or read somewhere about the, the name of um, the Woo Woo song? Thing. 
Was it your kid or your daughter or something? Called yeah, it that. It tell me, tell me the story. <laughs> Back then, you know, we uh, would go in the studio and record, and we'd come home and we play things for, for our family. For going in the house and see how it sounds, you know, and on the house system, and you know, everybody come listen. Well, what'd you do today? And so I. Well, came back with this song. Uh, I was playing. I was playing a lot of things off the record, and my daughter would come in, and she was like uh, three years old at the time. Mm. And she said, "Dad," I said, "What?" She said, "Play that other song again." I said, "What song?" She said, "That the Woo Woo song." I said, "I don't have a <laughs> song called the Woo Woo." She said, "Yeah, yeah, no, the Woo Woo song." So I went through the list and I played it. She said, "That one, that one." I said, "Oh, that's called You Should Be Mine." She said. No, it's the woo woo song. <laughs> so, she knows. <laughs> so, so I, I didn't write it, so I called the uh, songwriters and I said, My daughter says you need to change the name of this song to the woo woo song. And they said, What? <laughs> I said, She's three years old, and I kind of think that if it's the woo woo song to her, it might be what you need to change right. it to. <laughs> so, they, so that's how they, uh, they changed it to the woo woo song. <laughs> that's great. What a classic. That's another one, and that was a pretty big hit for you as well. I think maybe even your biggest solo song, at least it was, in terms it of was the charts. A huge hit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a very big hit for me. They people started labeling me the Woo Woo Man yeah. after that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a knew? label to have. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> um, okay, I got one more song that I want to ask you about specifically. Um, and then we can move on to some other things. But I think my very favorite Jeffrey Osborne song ever is Don't Stop. Hey, gang, let me break in here for a minute, take care of a little bit of business. Plus, I want to give you a few more minutes to keep listening to Don't Stop because it's just the greatest Jeffrey Osborne song ever. Uh, I want to read off some new uh, reviews on iTunes. We've only got a few. Uh, guys, I can't stress it enough. If you love us, <laughs> give us a little bit of a review please it'd be really nice um here's a, a few of our most recent ones uh here's one from green teas great insight into the music industry five stars i found this podcast by accident then started picking shows to listen that i was familiar with the guest by the way that's always my recommendation if you're new to this go in look for some names that you recognize if you like the style and you like our focus and, and approach then keep digging Anyway, but John's interviews are so inter interesting, I now listen to every episode, even if I am unfamiliar or not a fan of the guest. That's always my hope. They are all interesting, and it's so fascinating to hear the stories and industry nitty-gritty John gets from his guest. I love the fact that he is a true music fan and brings his love for music and his respect for each artist to the podcast. Thank you very much. I highly recommend The Hustle to any music fan. He touches on all genres and makes each episode interesting. That means a lot. Thank you very much, Green Tees. Uh, okay, here's another one. Five stars right up my alley from NY Live. Great guests, great topics, great host. It's podcasts like this that my own podcast, Rockonomics, aspires to be. That's very cool. The Rockonomics podcast is great. Um, I'm fairly new to it. I discovered it, I don't know, within the last few months. But it's really, really good. And I'm blanking on this guy's name. Um, so, I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name, but I like your podcast if you're listening to this. Anyway, check out Rockonomics. 
Uh, and another one from Rob Nee. Uh, great concept, great guests, five stars. Oh, my only criticism is that the host cuts across his guests while they're trying to answer his questions. That's it. That's my, that's my Achilles heel. It's particularly annoying when they're relating an anecdote. He frequently appears not to be listening to <laughs> what the guest just said and misses some pretty obvious and potentially interesting follow-up questions. He should listen to the hosts of Everyone Loves Guitar podcast and Inside the Music Cast. Uh, but I remain a loyal fan. Well, thank you, Rob Nee. Um, sounds like you remain a loyal fan reluctantly. I appreciate that. I'm a big fan of Inside Music Cast. I don't know everyone loves guitar. Um, I will admit, and I say this all the time, and I tell my guests this, by the way, it gets cut out, but at the beginning of every interview, I have the same spiel, and I forewarn everyone, our inter these interviews are more conversational. I'm not Terry Gross. It's not a hard and fast, I ask the questions and then you give the answer. We're having a conversation and sometimes sometimes that means we talk over each other or we argue or you interrupt me or correct me, all of which is perfectly fine. That's just the style of this podcast and hopefully people who are annoyed by me will come for the content and learn to get over it and enjoy it anyway. It sounds like you have. But anyway, I don't at this stage think that I will be changing my style all that much. It just is what it is. By the way, speaking of, of um, iTunes, so I, I wanted to tell, pass along a story to you guys. One of my favorite singers, singer-songwriters ever, is the Australian singer-songwriter Paul Kelly. I love him. And his publicist, who I have a good relationship with, came to me recently and said, would you be interested in talking to Paul Kelly? He's got a new album out that's a big hit in Australia. I was like, yes, I love Paul. I have a lot of his stuff. I would love to chat with Paul. Well, his people went on iTunes and saw The Hustle and read the description, which I will admit I wrote back when I first started this thing. And they felt that it implied too much that my podcast caters to like has-beens or one-hit wonders or, you know, people who are no longer in the public eye. Now, maybe we kind of started there, but I feel like we've evolved from there. Um, I don't really feel, although we do talk, I'll talk to anybody really about music. And I do find, you know, the trajectory of careers, whether they be up and down or whatever, especially interesting. But I don't feel like we dwell there. So I want to throw this out there. Anyone who's interested, send us a message, maybe on Facebook, or you can send us an email. And what would you write as our description to this show? Um, how would you describe it? And if you send us something that we like, we'll use it. Maybe there's even another, I don't know, some other little bump or little guest, in, a little uh, gift in there if you win or what. I don't know, but we'll see. But if you're interested in this, send over to us, whether via Messenger on Facebook or the email address, uh, the hustle pot at gmail.com send us how an, a short description of how you would describe this podcast so that in the future people like Paul Kelly won't be turned away because they misunderstand what we're doing here okay try that uh, also I feel like I should give some thanks to recent people who have shared our episodes and uh, who are working to get the word out we're so grateful for all of you 
Uh, for our last episode with Kevin Armstrong, by the way, that was a fun one. I hope you guys enjoyed that. It turned out I always worry so much about how these are going to end up and pe if people are going to like them and if the quality is too bad or good or whatever. Everything is fine. I need to chill. These are really good. Anyway, thanks as always to our friend Andy Shaw, Suburban Underground, the guys at Suburban Underground, Carrie Carlson. We love you, Carrie. Verna Lisa shared our Brian James episode. I loved that Brian James episode. That was fun. Uh, Jay Sabluski, as always. Good old Jay. Adam Turkle. I see Greg. You know, it's unfortunate. The uh, Steve Diggle episode came out the morning of, well, it was a Tuesday morning right before Thanksgiving and Facebook was down at that time. And so <clears throat> I think it eventually posted, but it or it posted and went away or whatever. So a lot of people don't even know that that episode's out there. So if, if you're listening to us for the first time and you came here for Jeffrey Osborne, chances are pretty good you're not that big of a punk fan. But if you like all genres of music, that's what we try to cover here. And unfortunately now, with the passing of Pete Shelley, that our episode with Steve Diggle, which came out two weeks prior to that, now feels very prescient. It's crazy that... Steve and I were talking just maybe, I don't know, eight weeks ago, something like that, about Pete and about the state of the band and the new music they're working on. He had no idea his musical partner of over 40 years was going to die a few weeks later of a sudden heart attack. Crazy. It is so crazy to me how these things happen. But on the other hand, I'm so grateful, so grateful that we get the opportunity to... to document these people's stories. Yes, it wasn't Pete's story. By the way, I reached out to Pete first and his people turned their people turned me down, said he doesn't do interviews anymore. And I said, well, fine, let me talk to Steve then. And that worked out. So what if Pete had worked out? But anyway, I'm just so grateful that we get these stories out there and that they're pretty close to definitive and that they have a lot of, we honor these people. And therefore, when, when sad times come and people pass away and it doesn't work out. There's a document out there that these people mattered to us. I'm really grateful for that. I should also mention it's the holidays. And if anyone wants to give their loved ones hustle t-shirts or hustle sweatshirts or hustle pop sockets or whatever, what better time? And who doesn't, whose life isn't improved by having a hustle t-shirt in it? I can tell you that anyone I know who has a Hustle t-shirt loves it, including me and all my family. So anyway, go to the Amazon store, type in the Hustle Podcast merch or the Hustle Podcast shirt or the Hustle Podcast uh, pop sockets or whatever you want to get, and they're all in there. Buy us one. Contribute to the coffers if you don't mind. Wear your shirt proudly. We all do. Anyway, just want to put in another plug. Anyway, let's get back to Jeffrey. Don't Stop is so funky. And in fact, speaking of you and movies, I remember being, I think, right. 11 years old and seeing the Goldie Hawn movie Protocol. And there's a scene where she shows up at a party holding a boombox and Don't Stop is coming out of this boombox. <laughs> and I remember to this day the rush of joy that I felt in that moment hearing this song that I loved in this movie. Because... I, that was a hit song, but it wasn't like a such a gigantic hit that you no, were sick of yeah. hearing it. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. And when yeah, it was the first single off that record. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's my that's my very favorite Jeffrey Osborne song. And so when you, you know back in those days, you're reliant on radio, and if the song's not like in the top ten, you're not hearing it 
as often as you probably want. And so every like morsel of it was so delicious. And so hearing just a little snippet in that Goldie Hawn movie made my day. And I've never forgotten <laughs> how happy I was in that moment hearing that song. So I know you didn't write that one, but can, do you have any right. stories relating to Don't Stop? Well, no, Don't Stop was one of those songs that was uh, brought to me by uh, Mike Zimbello. Okay. Mike Zimbello was an incredible guitarist. You know, he had his own career at one yeah. time. Maniac. He, uh, wrote that song, the Maniac, right? Yeah. He wrote Maniac. But Mike played on my first album, and he played guitar on just about every track. Mm. And uh, he also wrote uh, Eeny Meeny, which was one of my favorite songs that I recorded. So Mike and his brother actually wrote this song, and they brought it to me, and they brought it up to the studio and played it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a great song. This is a great, you know, it's one of the few songs that I have a video on, actually. Mm. Because I, I don't have a lot of videos yeah. in my career. But we did a live video. At a, I think it was in uh, Indianapolis at a, mm. uh, a, a little theater there. Uh, so we finished the show and we told people to stay in their seats because we were going to do a video. And if they wanted to be on the video, uh, you, you know, you got a chance of mm -hmm. being shot on the video to stay in. And that's what we did with that song, which was funny. And, uh, it was great. It was like a live video in front of a live audience. And they, uh, uh, it was kind of, it was, it's a fun video That's actually right. for me, but yeah, it was, it's a great, you know, and I don't even do that song live anymore. Don't and, you really? Oh. Uh, just, I, I haven't done it live in a long time. And I was just telling my, my guys in the band, I was like, you know, we, we need to do a rehearsal and, and bring in songs that I haven't done for a while. Uh -huh. and, uh, maybe do a tour a tour of forgotten songs. <laughs> yes. That one's my favorite, man. I love that song. Makes me so happy every time. You're in my heart It's just the start, babe There's much more to love Than the way you're thinking of To wear my special Now you close the door, the ring thrown on the floor But if it's alright with you I won't take a second chance I don't have to take it And you don't have to fake it anymore Catch it up Now let me wow, ask you what cool. yeah let me so let me ask you what one of the things that I find really interesting that I ask a lot of my guests about are the transitions in their life when they go from you know one level of stardom which might mean no stardom at all just trying it starting out hoping to make it to when it actually does happen when you leave LTD and and I'm guessing I'm guessing as a member of a giant band like that with multiple members you're not making a whole lot of money because you got to split everything no. with every guy in the band, it's, right? It's impossible. Exactly. Right. Yes. And so split ten ways. That's exactly right. And so you know you're having yeah. you have these hits, and maybe you even help write some of them, but the money's got to go to everybody. So when you venture off on your own 
and you start having success out of the gate, how how does your life change? What do you do you when you get that first royalty check? Do you take your family out to dinner? Do you go buy a new car? Do you just <laughs> what do you do? You know, do you buy front row seats at a oh, basketball yeah. game? What what do you how do you celebrate? Well, uh, the first thing you do is you run out and buy a house. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then uh, you know, I'm the youngest of 12 in my family. Goodness. So, uh, you know, the, the most important thing for me then was to try to take care of my mother mm-hmm. uh, because she did so much for so many people. Make sure she's comfortable and she has the things that she needs. And, uh, you know, those were the most important things for me was to just, you know, and then I've always been kind of level-headed because mm-hmm. I was the youngest of 12. I never grew up with a lot. You know, I grew up with just about enough to get by. And I had to wear my brother's clothes and, mm-hmm. you know, one of those kind of things. Sure. So I never really needed much and I never really wanted much. I mean, still to this day, I don't have a big mansion house. Mm-hmm. I don't even want one. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> I just am a product of my environment yeah i just need i don't need a lot you know so i i never went crazy when Mm -hmm. when it happened i I just kind of went with the essentials but we did enjoy going out now we could we could go out and i we love taking vacations Mm -hmm. so once a year we would go somewhere really nice and vacation and and these are the things that i wasn't able to do before you know but never never anything crazy i've Mm -hmm. always tried to keep things in perspective to where, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up and, you know, my whole existence was all about love, about yeah. sharing, about yeah. being in a family that big. And I never really felt that I needed a whole lot. And I never really, I, I, it doesn't interest me. Yeah. It's so It's so funny. It doesn't interest me. I'm kind of one of those guys that would, you know, yeah. Rather ride around in a car that still runs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fine <laughs> you by know, you, right? You okay. Know, it took it took me forever to start getting new vehicles, you know, yeah. uh, I was just one of those people, but yeah. I don't I don't really need a lot, but yeah, it was it was amazing. The first thing I did was I took a picture of one of those checks and I still have it. So I was like <laughs> There you go. <laughs> this is something I I was like, wow, I've never seen this before. <laughs> I got to take a picture of this. This is It real. was like a, one of the first ones. It was like a $250,000 oh. check. Uh, and I was like, oh, I got to take a picture of this. <laughs> this is like something I've never seen before. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, you know, it's, so, it's those moments that you say, wow, yeah, this is starting to happen. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Sounds like you like to go out there. Where do you like to go? Uh, well, you know, my favorite spot is Martha's Vineyard. Really? I wondered if you were and like a tropical it, beach guy or more of like a tour. You like going to Martha's I'm, Vineyard. I'm not a huh? real beach guy. I'm not a real beach guy. Although we, you know, we do, I do like the islands. Okay. You know, I like the Caribbean a lot, you know, so we'll, we'll go, uh, to Jamaica every now and then, uh, mm-hmm. we go to the Bahamas every now and then, uh, we'll go, you know, uh, I'll take off now. We'll go off to, you know, Cancun or somewhere. But uh, Martha's Vineyard is my favorite vacation, and that's close to where I grew up. I grew up born and raised in Providence, Rhode mm-hmm. Island. And that's Cape Cod right there in yeah. uh, Massachusetts. And uh, it has everything that I like. You know, okay. I, I grew up on the ocean. 
I'm really into fishing. I love fishing. Uh, and to me, I can do everything I want there. I love to play golf. They got great golf courses. And it's close enough to where my family can come down from Providence and hang out with me. Mm. So that's like my favorite place. And for years, I used to go and my mother would come down. I'd bring her down from Providence and she would come hang out with in the summers. And we'd be there for like three weeks to a month. That's kind of like my favorite that's, place, you know. Uh, and uh, wow. yeah. Good for you. You mentioned, uh, I, I just had to mention this real quick. I think I saw somewhere that you recently or within the last year or so became a vegan. And did I think you said that yeah. uh, fit, getting rid of not eating fish was the hardest part based on where it you was. grew up, right? It, it is. That was the hardest thing. Yeah. Cause I loved everything out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, I was one of those guys. I love oysters, clams on the half shell. I love crab. I love lobster and I love fishing. I go fishing all the time and I could, come back and fillet a fish as good as anybody mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. Uh, so i was really into uh you know seafood and that was the hardest thing for me to give up uh, the meat you know uh, of course i love the good steak and then you sure. know I, but you know it's it was that first month that first month was the toughest month for mm-hmm. me uh that transitional period you know it's weird you feel weird because yeah. Now your body is adjusting and it's loosening up all kind of toxins that you had in your body before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is going on? Here? Yeah. Yeah. And so that first month, once I got past that, I really started to feel good. And good. now it's been a year and a half, at least a year and a half. And I feel better than I've ever felt. I don't need anything anymore. I like, I don't, I haven't had an aspirin or a Tylenol or anything in a year. I haven't had a cold. That's crazy. I have not had anything pharmaceutical. Uh, it's amazing how just natural food has taken to my body. And I think, you know, it would happen for everybody because yeah. it really is. It's healing. Natural food is, is healing. Uh, plant-based, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it takes our body so much. It, we, it works so hard to break down meats and things and we don't realize it because they'll stay in your body for three days before you can, before you can digest it. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like, you know, I feel cleansed. I sure. feel my skin is so much different. It's like glowing and I feel better. And I just wish I had done it earlier. I mean, yeah. I waited till I was 69 years old. I'm 70 now. But I waited so long in life to uh, give it a try. And, yeah. and I've watched people around me make the transition. And it's amazing some of the results that I've seen from just some of my family members. Interesting. Uh, you know, because we've all, you know, we all we all love to eat. Yeah. And you got, you got to transition that into eating to live, not mm-hmm. living to eat. Because, you know, I loved it. We made everything taste so good. Sure. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> I grew up, my mother's cooking was amazing. You know, yeah. the mac and cheese and collard greens and fried chicken. And it all tastes so good. Yeah. And then you go to a plant-based diet where everything is very bland tasting. <laughs> and it, the interesting thing, though, is that after a month or two, your taste buds completely change really? and adapt to where things that I didn't think was that I thought were bland. I could really appreciate the taste of it now. Mm. So yeah, your body goes through an amazing transformation. Uh, but you got, you got to allow You got to allow time for that to happen. And a lot of people just quit on things. It's just yeah. like working out. Sure. I've been working out since I was 
running two miles a day since I was 17 years old. Oh, now, good for you. You know, uh, people make these New Year's Eve resolutions, and bam, they go in, and two weeks later, they're like, I'm so sore, I'm so sore, I'm quitting. <laughs> you got to work through that soreness. Yeah. You got to work through that. Yeah. That's the key. That, you know, and it's the same thing, changing your diet like, sure. drastically as, as vegan. Because that's, you know, it's no dairy, it's no plants, I mean, no, no fish, no food, no, yeah. Yeah. So I, it's been good for me. Good. You know, uh, I can't speak for everyone else, but I can speak for the people in my family and friends that I've seen go on it and see the change. Because it takes all the inflammation on your body. That's incredible. If you have any inflammation, it goes. So it's, yeah, it's it's huh. been kind of life-changing for Good. me. And uh, I, would, I would recommend it, you know. To yeah. Anyone. Does it, did you notice any effect or did you have any if, worries of any effect of it on your voice? Because your voice sounds exactly the same. I mean, you just, for anyone who doesn't know, you put out a new album this year, Worth It All. Last night I really couldn't get to sleep. Don't know what the hell was wrong with me. But I couldn't sleep, cause I couldn't keep you off my mind. Won't keep you everything in that way. But I need to know you feel the same, baby, if you can. Every now and then tell me Tell me that you love me Ooh, babe Tell me, baby If you got me so Let a brother know Tell me that you need me Ooh, baby Tell me, baby If you need me so Let a brother know That you in the middle of the night Cause I really wanna get it right Wanna take your hand Wanna be a man All of the time Hey, this isn't really Your first album was of, of original material in like 15 years But you still sound amazing So I'm guessing Has it made Do you feel like it makes you sound better Or the same Or just no impact at all? Well, when I recorded that album I was not a vegan. That oh, album was, interesting. Uh, I, it was before I became vegan. I've been waiting because I'm thinking I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, when when is my voice going to jump up and I get another extra octave there somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that hasn't happened. So, okay. but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I questioned that myself. I said, well, is it going to vocally? help me in any way yeah. or am i going to feel weaker and not be able to push and it's going to be a little different but it hasn't changed uh i think there's a little more clarity hmm. there's been a little more clarity because one thing i have that i've gotten rid of a lot of the uh you know the excess like mucus i don't hold on to mucus anymore i don't mm -hmm. hold that on like i used to uh i don't get those colds where i'm full of mucus i don't even get a cold anymore so it has to benefit me somewhere down the line. That's been a year and a half. And like I said, everything takes a little time. Yeah. But I do feel better. I feel better. I feel better on stage. I have more energy. Good. And okay. so I, I don't know. I know that's one of the benefactors. Um, and I'm thinking that um, I haven't given up hope that, you know, some some incredible things going to happen vocally and I'm going to end up a Good. soprano or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't change too much, but that would be nice if it uh, made you feel younger again. Um, right. <laughs> cool. Okay. So let me, I'm something I've always been curious about. 
Jeffrey, why did you basically take the nineties off? You know, you just, oh. you'd have been on like a nice run and granted, you know, musical styles are changing a little bit, but I mean, you just sort of stepped away forever. Why, why'd you do that? Well, I don't think I really stepped away. I never, I never stopped working. Mm. Uh, it was a, you know, it's, it's a thing that goes on in this industry and all of a sudden you become old, hmm. you know, it, it's weird. It's like, okay, we're into new artists. Record companies are signing new artists. We don't want your, I became a veteran artist yeah. and it not just happened to me. It's every veteran artist that goes through this. You're looking at the earth, wind and fires. You're looking at yeah. all of these groups that just disappeared. It wasn't us. It was the fact that record companies didn't really want to take a chance anymore. They were into a new thing, a new sound of music. And so it became tougher and tougher for us to land recording deals. And then the first thing I did after that, I did an independent thing. I went to Koch Records and I basically became a partner with them and I started doing my own thing. So it's, it's one of those things. It's a fickle industry, yeah. you know, and we become overnight uh, too old <laughs> i don't know i don't know how else to put it but it's kind of like when i was growing up and i my favorite artists were ella fitzgerald sarah vaughn you know billy holiday and all of a sudden yeah. what happened yeah there's no more deals with these people yeah and it became you know and all of a sudden r&b became the thing and we were in and then uh, all of a sudden a whole new genre comes in and it's kind of like it became hip-hop yeah it became rap it became hip hop and we were kind of sitting there and R and B still hasn't come back. Yeah. I mean, it's trying, but it's amazing. Cause I think that's the only genre of music that really, really suffered. Country music is bigger than ever. Right. Gospel music is bigger than it ever was, but R and B music kind of suffered. Mm -hmm. It seems like they took a little piece of it here into rap and they took a little piece of it into, into hip hop, of course. Yeah. But I think that that genre suffered more than any when I look back, uh, you know, and it, and it started around the 90s. Yeah, you know? you're it, right. It, I yeah. hadn't thought of that. I mean, but yeah, where is the new, where's the next Jeffrey Osborne or the next Luther Vandross or even the next like yeah, Brian McKnight what, or something? Stopped. Yeah, that stopped. Yeah. There's, there's no more. Every every male vocalist now wants to sound like the singing falsetto. Mm. So. They all singing as high as the girls are. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Huh. <laughs> yeah, you're it's right. A different thing out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There aren't those like masculine sounding crooners as much anymore, like no. they were back in the day. No, not that's too at bad, all. huh? Um, okay, I got to ask you. I've always been curious. How? I mean, we talked a minute ago about you know the success, uh, the financial success that comes with you know hard work and everything. You say that you don't care about the money that much, and I believe you, but. Your life had to change when Whitney Houston records all at once. All at once, I finally took a moment and I'm realizing that you're not coming back. And it finally hit me all at once. Shattered all at once 
You helped write that song. <laughs> That's one of the biggest debut albums in history. Your mailbox must have just been toppling over with checks <laughs> from that album, right? How did that change your life? <laughs> uh, that was incredible. And that was a, you know what? The, to go backwards a little bit, that song was not on my album because I chose We're Going All The Way all over it. Really? <laughs> because oh yeah but because you know uh we had like a formula it was like we'll do a record we do these up-tempo songs and we'll do maybe four ballads and two of them will be r&b ballads and two of them will be kind of pop ballads okay so we picked the r&b ballads and said okay we got all these pop ballads which one are we going to go with are we going to go with uh we're going all the way all all at once mm -hmm. and we like we're going all the way better than all at once and so uh, it just sat there and I wrote it with Michael Massa, who was another incredible songwriter. Wrote just about every big hit there was back then. Hmm. And he produced Whitney Houston. So he calls me, he says, oh, Jeffrey, this song we wrote, can I use it on Whitney? And I'm like, who's Whitney? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this artist I got, Whitney Houston. I said, I don't know. He said, come on, man, she's really good. Really, I said, okay, go ahead. It's just sitting there. And yeah. that's how she ended up with the song. Oh. Uh but yeah, and it was hit back in the day. There was another formula that you don't put everything out as a single. Mm -hmm. You leave something really good on the record to make them buy the record. Right. And that's what they did with, with all at once. They're yeah. like, no, let's not put it out as a single. Let's hold on to this. Yeah. And so yeah, it was great. The fact that it was on, a, on an album that that really did well. If yeah. they had made it a single, though, it would have it would have been a little better. Yeah, <laughs> but that probably but, stings a but, little. You know, it it was it was really yeah. It was it was. I mean, I think her that album didn't do as much as her albums that uh, succeed after that. I mean, the albums that came after that, I think, were bigger. Yeah, but I think bigger. that album went gold. It oh, went gold. I, I don't well, know. If one, I don't know if it went platinum. The with the debut Whitney Houston album, I think that sold like twenty million copies. It it, it might be platinum. Yeah. I have to look on my wall. No, I have a platinum up okay. there. Okay, I think I do actually. Yeah, that one's yeah. that first album was big, and then then the Bodyguard went even bigger. But did you ever meet oh, her no. or hang out with her, or did oh, she ever have a chance to tell you she, about her, it? Well, her first tour, she opened for me. Did she really? <laughs> She wow. opened for me on her first tour, the first major tour she did. She opened for me. We did a whole maybe two, three month tour. Uh, yeah, so I knew her well. We we were sitting, laughing, talking. We talked about the song and Michael Master because Michael Master wrote "Saving All My Love for You." Mm -hmm. He wrote a lot of stuff on that record, so they were really close. And I had written a few things with Michael Master. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, we we knew each other well. Okay. I knew her, yeah, and then and then of course she went to Arista Records, yeah. and I ended up going to Arista Records uh, when I left A and M. So we were, you know, label mates. We well, never got a chance to do anything together. Uh, you know, I would still, have liked to have that happen. Yeah, but, no kidding, yeah. no kidding. Um, I hope I don't know if this is too sensitive a question. If you if it is, you tell me. We'll cut it out, but. At the time when Whitney first comes out, she basically becomes America's sweetheart. I mean, she's so beautiful and sounds so amazing. And this smile that lights up a room. And nowadays, I feel like we're learning what a kind of tortured soul she really was behind all of that. Right. Did you see any of that? When you knew her, did you see somebody who 
Did you see the bright, sparkly Whitney, or did you see the dark Whitney that we're I, learning I saw about the now? Bright, sparkly Whitney. Well, on the first tour, I saw the bright, sparkly Whitney. Okay. Uh, I definitely saw that, but I did see her starting her the decline in yeah. her vocal. I saw that happening yeah. because there were shows that uh, she couldn't get through. Uh, even some of the live shows she was struggling on. And uh, I watched her as she got older. And I think right around the time where she met Bobby, I mean, I mean, I don't want to put that on Bobby because mm -hmm. everybody seems to think that Bobby is the thing is the one that no. brought her down. No, you but, learn but now Whitney that she was, was on that Whit path herself. Yeah. No, yeah. Whitney. Yeah. I mean, Whitney was, you know, more street than Bobby was. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw that on the first tour. She was, you know, Clyde tried to make her the pop diva mm -hmm. she was. But Whitney was really from New Jersey, from the hood. She was a and a great person. We had a lot of fun. But, but yeah, I saw the decline. And then right around when she met Bobby, I saw how she really was going downhill. Mm -hmm. uh, she was still able to record well. But her live performances were suffering because she was just, you know, she was overindulging in everything. Yeah. So it was kind of sad. And you hate to see what happened to her happen yeah. to her. I mean, that, that's like a terrible Tragic. way to go. It is. But yeah, but I, you know, okay. and, and it's something you, you wonder about. I mean, why did they do that reality show? What's the worst reality show I've ever seen? Her okay. body. It's like, I know. I mean, that's just, it, that's, that's. <laughs> It's so, so many mental to do something like yeah yeah so many bad but choices was, along the way. Was, I I always say she was a once in a lifetime voice. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of once in a lifetime voices. Yeah, she had one of them. She did. And I, it's sad to see somebody uh, destroy that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, do you not know what you have? You got to. Yeah, I mean, it's all around you. You're seeing. She was she was classic. She it yeah. was amazing. Yeah. She was. You mentioned Quincy earlier. Did you uh, were you around Michael Jackson very often? Did you get to did you hang out with Hell him? Yeah. I, okay. Oh yeah, we toured. You know, on uh, 1979, uh, LTD and the Jacksons. We did a major tour together. Really? <laughs> so so we opened for the Jacksons. Yeah. Okay. We opened for the Jacksons. LTD now was an incredible live group. I believe it. So we stayed on the tour about maybe a month and a half, two months, and then they kicked us off the tour. Mm, when, we got, when we came to L.A., <laughs> they, they, they removed us from the tour when we got to L.A. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were putting some pressure on them. Yeah. Now, this was before, this was when Michael had the Off the Wall album just come mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. So he would go out, and they would do the Jacksons show, mm -hmm. and then they would strike the stage, and he would come back out, and do the songs from Off the Wall, which Crazy. was phenomenal to yeah. see. You know, so I was there when, I mean, I, I never seen anything like it because they would go from the stage, down the steps of the stage, right, they would pull the limo back right down to those big, we would build those big uh, theaters, mm -hmm. big amphitheaters and stuff. He would, they would back it down and they would go right from the stage into the limo and drive up through the tunnel, and people were jumping on top of the car as it was dry. I've never seen anything like it. I believe it. I'm like, I, so you, I mean, yeah, he was, he was phenomenal. Yeah, so okay, yeah, just so curious. I, I got to, I, I spent some time with Michael just yeah. talking to him, and and then I met Quincy because Quincy was 
largely at A&M Records, and I was mm. still signed to A&M Records. And so Quincy, uh, I was trying to get Quincy to do my first record, mm. actually. And, uh, Boy, that would have been something. He had a big beef with A&M, and he was upset with A&M Records over oh. something. And he had just signed. He told me, he said, I just signed this guy, man. He said, and I like him. He said, and as much as I'd like to work with you, I got a problem with A&M Records, mm. so I'm just going to go with this guy, and we'll see down the line. And it was James Ingram. Oh, Oh, I love oh, James Ingram yeah. too. Oh man! Oh, that's what I got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's great. Okay, so I want to know what one of your just your favorite stories is of your whole career. I mean, you've you've been at this for so long and seen so much, and I'm sure as we've established, interacted with some of the other greatest voices of your generation. What is just when you sit back and you you know you've been married for to the same woman, I believe for like 35 years, you got three kids. That's amazing. By the way, when you sit back and you're just like, you're eating your vegan dinner and you're 70 years old and you're thinking, I can't believe this happened to me. What is that thing? Well, it's, it's interesting because there's been a, you know, a few things that have happened, but I think to me, the thing that sticks out to most to me was with LTD. Hmm. We were struggling to get a deal. So we were auditioning. It was funny. Back in the day, we auditioned for record companies. Hmm. We would go in and, you know, we would set up and play. And uh, so we had interest with A&M Records, but they hadn't signed us. And so they asked us to perform behind one of their artists, who was Mary Clayton at the time. Hmm. So we started performing behind Mary Clayton, and we went to the Monterey Folk Fest and did this show with Mary Clayton. Wow. And one of the acts fell out and they said, there's a 30 minute window. And we were all, Jimmy just got off because we finished Mary Clayton. It says a 30 minute window. Would you guys mind performing? You get a chance to perform for 30 minutes. Would you guys do it? And we said, yeah. And we went out and we did a 30 minute set in front of loud, I think 80,000 people or something. Wow. The Monterey Folk Festival. And the crowd went absolutely incredible. Really? And AM Records came AM Records came to us and said, Okay, we're ready to sign you guys. <laughs> and that that sticks out to me more than anything because that was the break that we needed. Yeah. That that is exactly what we needed to get going. And to me, that that's that was the beginning. That's that what brought me to who I am. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And for anyone who doesn't know, Mary Clayton was the backup singer on the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter. I learned that recently in the 20 Feet from Stardom uh, documentary. Great movie. Wow, good for you, man. So what's a day in the life of Jeffrey Osborne like today? I mean, are you, do you tour? Are you out there promoting Worth It All, doing shows? How many shows a year do you do? Uh, I'm still doing quite quite a few shows a year. Like this is, this month I'm out every week. Oh wow! Uh, um, I don't I don't stay out uh, anymore. Yeah. So I go out and I do I do weekends. I'll go out. I'll do uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or you know Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But I'm out every week, so I do quite a few shows, and uh, I've been very busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had a week, maybe ten days off, which is the biggest stretch I've had 
uh, oh really this year oh wow yeah I, so I I've been I've been working a lot I mean I took a little time out to promote the record mm-hmm. we went on a little promotional tour and I went out and I you know did some radio and, and some TV and stuff and uh, but for the most part uh, I've been out you know I get a little break December is always slow mm-hmm. but I think the first two weeks in December I'm out and then you know Christmas comes in and everybody saves their money you know, for Santa Claus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll get a little break around the middle of December up until January. And then I, I'm, I'm looking at my calendar next year and I'm, I'm, I have dates all the way up into November. Already. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, so I, I, I would say, you know, I, I'm doing well, it sounds like a lot. at least eight, eight, eight shows a month, eight to wow. 10 shows a month easily okay. so i'm still doing over 100 i'm doing over 100 something shows you know and that's and then i have a little lot of little private things that like mm. don't even people don't even know i get asked to do this here like i just did something for the boys and girls club in in temecula san diego area mm. you know and those things i don't post so people don't know them you know yeah. but yeah i'm i'm still very busy actually good so i work a lot good okay and on your i don't even know do you live in the providence area again no i live in la you do I okay i wasn't sure okay yeah, i'm in providence i go back and forth i have a celebrity golf tournament that i've been doing back there mm-hmm. and i raised a lot of money for charities in the, my hometown i've given in <clears throat> let's see this is my seventh year i've given away over a million dollars in uh, to charities wow. in Rhode Island, and Good that's probably one of the most fulfilling things I've been doing in the last seven mm-hmm. to eight years is just being able to give back to my hometown. Yeah, and uh, you know, cause, so okay, you know, I, every <clears throat> it's been every August. I moved it to July this past year, but for the past seven years, my little weekend is called the Jeffrey Osborne Celebrity Classic, and we were doing a celebrity softball game. Uh, we stopped doing that last year, so we did a celebrity bowling. I have a I have a, a comedy show I do. Really? Uh, last year it was it was Cedric the Entertainer and George Lopez. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I uh, I moved it to Foxwoods Casino this past uh-huh. year, <clears throat> and so they gave me the Grand Theater. So I did a comedy show there, their bowling thing, and then I do my celebrity golf. And Magic Johnson's been hosting my wow. tournament for the last six or seven years. So that is great. I get incredible athletes i get this i get the dr jade and sugar ray leonard and uh i get the entertainers also so Smokey robinson comes the oj's come johnny gill comes i have philip bailey from earth wind and fire and we jam it's like the most incredible tournament because no we not only have that we have we we just go up and jam and yeah. put on a show for people on top of uh the, the golf which is incredible and all the athletes and entertainers together it's pretty amazing yeah so it's been really one of the most Good. uh fulfilling things that i've done in Good. a while so i, I you know and I, i'll continue to do it as long as uh, the people back there are supporting it you know? that's great <clears throat> well look uh jeffrey you've meant so much to me for 35 years or more of my life and uh I just think, I think you're amazing. And I'm so grateful that you talked to me and I'm so grateful that things are still going well. I, uh, I th- just, I think you're one of the best there's ever been. Well, so thank, thank you. you for talking I to me. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. My pleasure. There you have it. Jeffrey Osborne. I hope you guys like that. I love him. And 
one of the best there's ever been. I know that we cover mostly a lot of pop and rock and alternative rock and stuff like that on here, but I love R&B, and I wish we could get more R&B guests on here. They're hard to pin down. In fact, speaking of that, I want to give a very special thanks to Juanita Stevens for help lining this up with Jeffrey. And hopefully this is the beginning of, you know, more R&B guests. Maybe this will open the door a little bit. So thank you, Juanita. I wanted to, you know, we, we talked a lot about LTD, but we didn't play a lot of LTD. So I want to close it out with a really great LTD song that Jeffrey sings. This is Holding On When Love Is Gone. Nothing better than 70s R&B and funk, if you ask me. By the way, if you're new or newish to Jeffrey Osborne, just go get your greatest hits. All these great songs that we talked about are on there. In fact, you know how Universal puts out those compilations, the 20th Century Masters or whatever? They've got the like white and silver spines. He's got an excellent 12 tracks uh, compilation, one of those. Start there or something. Just check out the hits and dive deeper. It is all so good. I'd love to give you a better teaser than this. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to run next week. I've got a bunch of interviews in the can, honestly, from every genre and every decade. And I cannot for the life of me decide what I'm going to do next week. I don't know. I wish I could help you better than that. Um, Anyway, I know you like to guess them. I know I like to tease them, but I'm really not sure what I'm going to do. But if you're new to us, if this is your first time listening, thanks to Jeffrey Osborne, go into the archives and see if there's other guests in there that interest you. And if they do, check it out, subscribe, and stay in touch. You can like our page on Facebook and uh, you can send us a message on there or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And a huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makevich, for putting everything together. By the way, there may be a bonus episode coming out this week. If not this week, it'll probably be next week, but we should have another one coming very soon. Okay? Thanks, everybody. Love you.